We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you. We are back. And I am more congested than ever. Did something, did you, did you like open a moldy uh, something or other? I don't think so. I think I, I, like there's no leaves on the trees here and yet I have like horrible allergies right now. Did you take a, like a nap on a cat, like using it as a pillow? I would Uh never blame a cat for any illness that I had. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't, I didn't notice, I didn't notice your voice changed, but yeah, you didn't sound like this a couple hours ago. I know, yeah, it's, I have, you're just like rapidly, do you have like a shellfish thing? (laughs) I have the suds, man, it's, I don't know what it is. All right, well, John ate something he shouldn't have, and uh, (laughs) I might have to just pull the plug on this and, you know. John got into the soap again. Yeah, John's, uh, you know you're not supposed to eat cilantro. (laughs) Cilantro. But anyway, so... My voice just sounds like this normally. Like it's it's still a it's like a defect, but it's like my sinuses built wrong. Uh, the air gets trapped for some reason, and that's why it sounds that way. I did not uh, have any sort of incidents in between uh, the radio this morning and recording this in the afternoon on Thursday. I'll blame the uh, like the dust in the uh, parking garage that I was telling you about earlier under my building. Oh, is the light on now? I have no idea. I need to like, co- well, I guess by the time we're done recording this, uh, the office will be closed. So I, I will just be going home tonight having no idea if I have power or not. 
Okay. Well, so, I hope you good. do. But um, anyway, I yeah, I, I also hope your uh, whatever it is that's going on <laughs> resolves itself because yeah, you, it's like rap- rapidly deteriorating and, and you know at as we speak. So, so we'll try to just run, run through this podcast. Maybe you, you'll just kind of have to carry it. But um, I'll start looking for an EpiPen and you can do the intro here or whatever. <laughs> just, just jab me in the jugular and we'll be good to go. But all right. So we're, we're kind of in this weird part of the year where people are kind of like throwing out take grenades, just kind of uh, say, saying things like, oh, I haven't liked DK Metcalf all along just because they're bored and there's not a ton of new information coming out. And we have two weeks or three weeks until the draft actually starts with without any really like tangible data again coming out until then. Ole Miss has already had their pro day. Metcalf already did stuff uh, there again. Um, but today, actually, there was something that uh, moved the needle a little bit, and that was Stanford having their pro day. Yeah, so J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is a guy who did not test at the Combine. I don't know if there was an injury reason or if he just preferred to do it at the pro day, but he was timed at about, I'm seeing 4.48, 4.49 in the 40, yep. so that's more than good enough, even if it's not uh, above average necessarily because – I've been trying to find, before we started the show here, I've been trying to find a case of a player who ran a 40 at both the Combine and the Stanford Pro Day, and I can't find such a player yet. So, unfortunately, I have no case study. But I would guess a 4.48 at the Stanford Pro Day is like a 4.58 at the Combine. It's. I feel like I remember an anecdotal detail that they have like a pretty fast track at Stanford, and I don't know why... But for what it's worth, like Kobe Fleener was t- uh, timed at four four five on their track, so mm. he's that's that's not to say uh, you know Arcega Whiteside is actually slow because I think he checked the box emphatically with that number. He just needed something like four six two or better than that. So he did good enough, and you know Fleener did not fail because he was slow. He was fast, just bad at getting open and catching the football so Arcega Whiteside is a violent contrast in that sense because he is a really good route runner and I thought turning on the tape with him as much as it's easy to just go to the highlights of him making red zone and end zone more specifically catches where he just kind of boxes out and rebounds the ball uh, that's his that's like his most novel trait but when you look at the more you know nondescript catches also he shows good route running i think and an ability to play in the slot uh because his route running is good enough or outside because his ball skills are good enough and the route running plays there too so i feel like he could be a wide receiver one in the nfl he's not going to be a wide receiver one in the sense that he'll give you uh you know 1400 yards at 16 yards a catch but i can imagine him having a few like 1300 yard seasons he compared himself to michael thomas today and i think that's a pretty reasonable uh rough uh, comparison there i also saw a jordy nelson comp for him huh i don't really see I that like jordy was faster. jordy is faster so I, I i wasn't sure about that one either. yeah see i remember vividly jordy nelson running away from a cube talib in college and our sega doesn't kansas state kansas battles yeah our sega gets our sega white side gets open but he doesn't really run away from anybody yeah. and that's like if if he had run like a four four flat and then you maybe project that part of the game showing up. But I think he's he's a guy who's more like Michael Thomas in the sense that like he can play slot or outside. 
he is a he's gonna be a problem for defenses at both right and he's effectively like a big target because he just catches everything and not that it he, he doesn't need to have the 85 percent catch rate or whatever thomas's ridiculous numbers were this year he's I, we don't have anything as far as the agility drills or jumps not that i could find anyway but i think that our sega white side has shown so much just functional athleticism and skill on tape that when the production is as good as it is, as it is and when you have the the four four eight four four nine at six two two twenty five, he's not like the he's not conventionally considered like a top three or top five receiver. But I don't really see a convincing argument against it. Like he's in the sense of like a uh, you know having the size and produ- production checks. He's kind of similar to just like AJ Brown and Enkeel Harry as far as that combination of his prospect profile even even if he doesn't have like the speed of DK Metcalf or uh, you know some of these other receivers I think he's a justifiable first round pick and yes. I, I think there's going to be some some maybe a you know a good number of surprising wide receiver order picks and I feel like when you have this many really good like hyper qualified uh, receiver class like this you might see something that people call a reach, but basically just isn't because it's like there's six teams that really love this guy, and they're all within like a twelve pick span, and they're they're all ready to to go at him. And maybe those other what is thirty two minus six? Uh, maybe the other twenty, maybe the other twenty six teams uh, don't have any interest in him at all. But he's still going to go in that range because of those other ones. And it's like Arcega Whiteside is someone you look to if you need that big slot or the ball skills, sideline, and end zone target, like Andy Isabella's if you need speed, Paris Campbell if you need speed, and more specifically, like, yards after catch speed. At, at uh, You know, there's there's whatever you need at receiver, there's somebody who seems to just check every single box, mm-hmm. even if they don't, in uh, the sense of, like, every conceivable use. It's like, for some team, a lot of these guys are perfect fits. And I don't know if they'll play right away, but... I just can't argue against Arcega Whiteside in the first because it's like he's he's shown he has the traits to project as like the the kind of receiver who does everything that he's already succeeded at and that we've seen others succeed at in the NFL. So I just don't see any reason to doubt him. Yeah, I, th- I really do see him going in the first round. And selfishly, really? I I think yeah th- at this point I think that 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 just kind of stamped it uh, today with, with the solid forty uh, yard dash there. And you know again like you know weight and size adjusted like that's a that's a great time for a guy that's you know six two and change and two hundred twenty five ish pounds like that's awesome. Uh, so selfishly. I would like to see the Ravens get him. I think he'd be a nice fit for them. I don't think they they need necessarily like the the Paris Campbell type. I think someone that's just like that reliable target um, in the in the intermediate passing game and then also in the red zone. I think that he would fit that extremely well in Baltimore. Right, and Arcega Whiteside might be an inflation candidate because it's hard to think of a team that can't use him. Like he's. He's a lot more widely applicable than someone like Isabella or Campbell's for those examples. It's like those guys have their at least unproven aspects. And in the case of Isabella, especially, it's like the catch radius is an actual limitation. And uh, there's only there's some things that he does potentially at an elite level, but then some things that he just cannot be better than average at. Whereas Arcega Whiteside can give you above average in pretty much every task like he's not going to have above average speed or whatever but it's like if you want yardage and touchdowns then uh the things that you do to get those things he's good at those like he he uh 
literally like the only thing missing in his game is that he doesn't have like four three speed in which case he would be like a top 10 pick so uh absent that it's like yeah i don't see the argument for him uh i don't know where i'll rank him specifically to be clear but if someone ranks him in like their top 20 i'm not going to argue against it it's like it's, in, their, in their big board yeah and it's it's just like one of those things where there's a lot of most of the receivers seem like a right answer like at the top anyway i think uh of course hakeem butler has a lot of hype right now but i think our sake of white side is easily the better player i think here's a take uh as far as my rankings i think i would put our sega white side above and kill harry now that's fair i think that harry has more athletic talent definitely but our sega white side is super polished in terms of t- the technical aspects of playing receiver yep. like as a route runner uh, uh the hands the ball skills just like everything regarding how to actually play a receiver he's really good at whereas Enkeel, he might be similarly good to our sega white side right now and you can convince yourself that he maybe has more upside because he isn't as polished in terms of sure. skill so it's like well if he does develop the polish maybe he'll reach a new level maybe he won't maybe he'll never develop more skill set anyway and maybe it's a moot question but uh yeah i don't i don't have any argument against uh I mean, I wouldn't have an argument against somebody ranking him this first among receivers. It's just, it's he checks so many boxes, it's really difficult to bet against him when, at this point, we've isolated so many variables and, you know, investigated so many concerns. It's like, all we know at this point is, like, whoever ends up in the best situation projects the best for fantasy. Right. And that's what we care about. So, if you want to pick our Sega Whiteside first, I have no argument against it because... If he goes on to a team that just has the snaps for him and a decent passing game for him to play in, he's going to, at the very least, like go with the tide, and there's a pretty good chance that he raises it, too. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good way to put it. So, I mean, at, as it stands right now, do you think that you know somewhere after, say, pick 20 where, where the Steelers are going, you think anywhere after that is kind of like feasible J.J. Arcega-Whiteside land? It's, it's really tough for me to pinpoint a team with him because i really do think and i guess this is there's something to be said for the fact that he's relatively unique like this and i think the only other guys like this are probably aj brown and and kill harry but again it's like pretty much every team could use him so as long as there's a team that has a you know a lot of three receiver sets it's like even if they already have two good receivers i could see them drafting him high and uh, who knows what the best scenario is for him exactly, but I think he'll be in demand because he'll appeal to basically everybody. There won't be any teams that are like, I don't know what to do with this guy. No, exactly. And it, it feels like he, he's among the, the safer. Like, I have a very hard time imagining him being a bust. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. And I guess, uh, let's see, just looking at some of the teams in like the 15 onward... I guess I don't really expect him to go to any of these teams, but maybe something like, I guess as soon as Tennessee at 19, I could imagine it because I know they just signed Adam Humphreys, but uh, he's not that good. And Ortega Whiteside, all all that they have is Corey Davis, really. I still believe in Taewon Taylor, but I don't believe in the Vrabel regime's ability to work with him for something's just off there. Uh, but yeah, some something as high as that would not surprise me, even if I don't specifically expect it. 
I would like to see maybe Indianapolis as a potential land. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd probably I mean they got Funchess there, and I think Funchess is gonna play a big role this year, but that's that's one spot that could be I, I would generally expect them to look to add to their defense, but maybe not. And if they do pick Arcega Whiteside, he could be better than Funchess right away, although it's as much as people you know particularly with the recency bias of Funchess just not being good when they expected why, him to why did he pan out he was on my sleeper list right yeah <laughs> he's he's bad now because like he was a bust for me in fantasy no he's he's 24 25 and he's already had an 800 yard eight touchdown season it's hard for any rookie no matter how good they are to be better than a fourth year guy who is still as young as Funchess but if I mean last year they had Zach Pascal ryan grant chester rogers uh somebody else who's bad playing a lot of snaps right and i know that Dion kane is there but i don't think he's particularly good he, no. he's probably i mean he's probably better than pascal and he certainly has a downfield element they otherwise didn't have but there's still room aside from funches and hilton for wide receiver snaps in that offense like our sega white side would blow away at least the in the whoever the third competition is yeah, even if he I, can't beat Funches. And I think, you know, we can all agree now at this point that Indianapolis is at a point in their upward trajectory where in recent years or in years past, um, if they were to spend a first rounder on a receiver like they did with Philip Dorsett, you'd just be like, what are you doing? Like you have so many other holes to fill. But now the offensive line is like totally fixed. I think that there is room for them to kind of do a little bit of a luxury pick and add that one more weapon to uh, to Andrew Luck's arsenal here. Um, so that's why I think that I could see Indianapolis being a, a you know a potential suitor, not not necessarily only for Arcega Whiteside, but for a receiver uh, in the first round. Otherwise, I guess the Chargers at twenty eight would probably make some sense. I know they have Mike Williams, and they spent the seventh overall pick on him a few years ago. But it's a three receiver offense and. You know, if they don't want to have Travis Benjamin as one of those three, then maybe they look to receiver early in this draft. But again, I I feel like with a wide receiver class this deep, anybody can go pretty much anywhere in that first forty picks, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if there was like a really un uh, like unconventional number of receivers going in that first forty picks. And I think people might call those picks reaches in some cases, but this receiver class is insanely good i know that there's not the megatron but there are so many uh so many guys who could project from like 10 to 20th best in the league at receiver and like they're all in this one draft yeah it's it's remarkable i love the depth uh in this particular draft um so looking at other positions we've had some other pro day numbers roll in since the last time that we uh sat down uh, one of those, we I know we did a podcast basically based on the Josh Jacobs pro yeah. day. Um, and then he had another workout. I need to see about six more workouts for him uh, before I'm convinced of anything. Fair enough. I remain agnostic on Plus this. Plus an underwater one. Yeah, and I, I remain agnostic on Josh Jacobs because maybe this is just me being petty, but when he had that disaster initial pro day, his proponent's almost seemed to think he was better for it like they got more just like bold with their assurances that no no just because he ran a four six five in a pro day setting that's that's bull crap if you think that he's not the best running back in the draft just because he ran a four six five at a, at a pro it day actually makes him better yeah they got it, it's it's a this happens all the time i don't know why 
human psychology works this way, but when prophecies fail, the believers always double down. Like, yeah. There's no case. I mean, it's like QAnon stuff, uh, the, the <laughs> end times things of whatever uh, insane preacher or huckster of your choice. Doesn't matter. When the more they are wrong, the more the beliefs are are reinforced. And yeah, you saw that with Josh Jacobs. It's like, well, it's actually, uh, well, he's he weighed two hundred twenty five pounds and a four six five at two hundred twenty five. That's like if he ran, a, if he was two hundred pounds, that would be like a four four, and you wouldn't complain then, would you? And it's like just all these things. It's like, what are you talking about? None of these conditions, none of these hypotheticals bear on this situation at all. It's nope. it's bad to run a four six five at a pro day when you're a running back. Yeah, it's not good, especially when. You were a backup to this guy who everybody says you're better than, even though you never played ahead of him and you never outproduced him for some reason. So if you can't be better now, I'm going to need to see some physical tools that can project skill set growth. And a 4.65 does not count as far as that goes. But mm-hmm. anyway, he re-ran at, at a, I guess it was just like a personal workout since the, the pro day didn't go that well. And I'm trying to find the updated numbers. And I thought I, I saw like four five two, but uh, yeah, I thought I saw like a four five six or something like that, which sounds right because he was cited at a four five flat. By I've mentioned this a few times, and in the same thing, Damian Harris ran a four five one. We don't know what their respective weights were at the time, but it's two years ago. It's easy to imagine that he was more like two ten than the two twenty or two twenty five or whatever it was that he so, ran at the pro day. So uh, Jim Nagy, uh, the guy who runs the pro day, or I'm sorry, the, the Senior Bowl now, yeah. uh, he had a tweet uh, piggybacking off of the Rappaport tweet that had the four five two to four five six range. Jim Nagy said that uh, from people that he heard from, that you know he trusts their timing. Uh, had Jacobs at four six one. Uh, and then four six three to four six five at the updated one. Yes, this was from yesterday. Hmm. Okay. Well, in any case, he had uh, a good ten yard split allegedly, like a one five six ten yard split. But uh, at the same time, that's not great long speed. Yeah. Um, Even at a like a double redo. Hey man, if you're a backup to some guy and you don't play better than him, and you're still gonna tell me that the backup is better than the starter, I need again. I need like that four four five. I need something that that says. With this plus experience, he will eventually be better than the guy he is worse than now. And instead, we're just given like, we'll just have the faith, idiot. And it's like, why? Why? Why would I just assume this? And like, because he's going in the second round, and you're not a scout, are you? It's like, yeah, I don't want to be a scout. Like, he oh is- well, what if? What do you ever been right, right about? Like more than NFL scouts. Like, yeah. I, I mean, Jesus. Uh, but it's ridiculous. I think Josh Jacobs could be good. I'm. I'm. He's basically to me just I don't know. He, I, I'm I'm struggling to decide whether I want to rank him ahead of or immediately behind David Montgomery, but they're like the same player to me now. Basically, not okay. not exactly the same because David Montgomery, of course, was a workhorse for his team and he had a uh, rough conditions, whereas it couldn't have been more favorable for Jacobs in his case. But just in that, like these are 220 pound guys who people for some reason are pr- like placing these like messiah like expectations onto and it's it's one thing to say like this guy's got like the motor and and the power and the and the balance to, to to really stick if he gets a shot and it's another to say like he's so good he's just gonna get a shot because the league can't resist him and they think he's so good and he's he's gonna get drafted high and just immediately 20 carries a game and like if he if if you can assure the opportunity like that for any particular runner and especially some other guys like you know daryl henderson um there's there's other running backs who fall off the radar of the people who love jacobs and montgomery so much that 
are objectively in most ways better than both. And it's like all those guys, I don't expect any of them to do much necessarily. Um, and I don't want to rule it out either. It's like whoever gets the arbitrary opportunity is the one who projects best. But uh, like Jacobs and, and Montgomery are both just faith logic. And like a lot of the faith is based on like, well, they were ranked one and two yesterday and the day before that. And it's like, well, what was this founded on? Why did you start saying these things? What what, what was the, the thing that precipitated this viewpoint? And they're just like, shut up stop you you're you're you care too much about 40 times the like, short-sightedness of of all this when you zoom it back out to last year and where like the the top guys from this class would rank in there the it's RB a terrible seven? class it's a like, jeremy it's, langford it's class really, all over jonathan again. franklin right yeah yeah i mean to be clear i still think daryl henderson is actually good and uh there's a couple other guys you know some odds are someone like dexter williams or alex barnes etc etc miles sanders just so yes somebody will probably do something but there's not any reason to believe that any of them are so far ahead or behind the others as to to explain like the public or the dynasty community's perception of these guys it's like it makes sense to be i think agnostic on pretty much all of them um and not particularly invested in any of them um but yeah the idea that's just like no this guy's really good actually no you're you're just kind of like deciding like whoever the best running back is must be a really good one because there must be a really good running back i wouldn't uh you know look all over i wouldn't spend all this time looking at all these running backs if none of them were good there just just isn't and like we knew this a year ago like last like uh if we were sitting in this room a year ago today we would know that okay this upcoming running back class after this 2018 class gets drafted is going to be trash and right if nick chubb bore out if nick chubb way. and darius geis are going in the second round it's the best running back class in like eight years yeah and, and uh the next one necessarily cannot be as good but uh yeah damian harris i, for, I forgot to you know mention but i i have him ranked ahead of uh, josh jacobs and david montgomery along with daryl henderson and i have i think sanders dexter williams barnes as slightly ahead of montgomery and jacobs but they're basically all the same thing to me in that i uh, am not a big enough fan of any of them to probably pay the price that it takes to get them especially in the case of jacobs and montgomery and maybe i'll get maybe i would end up with damian harris daryl henderson shares but generally i want to target the receivers as much as i can in this class because it's it's deep and there are potential stars who you can get in like the third round like a Jalen Hurd or something like that and it's just in a class that deep and strong at receiver I just wanted to spend every bullet on that let everybody else chase the running backs that aren't good yes that's yep that's the bottom line uh there any other thoughts on this upcoming class before we switch gears to your uh Jordan Howard article not really I uh I I think for me it's it's like I have big tiers that that are very inclusive uh you know there's i might have to put our sega white side in that first tier which Do would it. be a top four with Enkil harry and metcalf aj brown but yeah those running backs the ones that we've been talking about like after damien harris and daryl henderson they're just kind of like a blob to me mm-hmm. and uh some of them are going to be good but no one really knows and if they if they are good they're their natures their traits probably won't have as much to do with it as like their opportunity level where they arbitrarily land whether the team that they're on has injuries at running back things like that the receivers there's a lot of guys who you're like this one's too good to not play mm-hmm. and uh so that's that's all i'm looking at and um yeah I'm, I'm generally a bit lower on the iowa state guys than most people but i don't actually have any you know 
beef with the idea that Hakeem Butler is the wide receiver one in the class. I just think that... I get that a lot more than I get the David Montgomery thing. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, I I am basically skeptical of David Montgomery being more than a replacement-level NFL player. Hakeem Butler, I expect to be good. It's just that his fans literally think he's they're, he's randy moss <laughs> yeah it's like look man it's it's just not happening he could be really good but he's more comparable to someone like mark has evolved this scantling or something like that than he is it's, it's it's just people and i think they know this and w- which makes it weird that it's it's such a you can't get anyone to admit it it's just that the tape looks cool with butler they're just yeah. entertained by he's it he's just chucking you guys down after like way down the field he makes a catch and just like throws off this you know like bug on the windshield tiny tiny little cornerback yeah we all love to to throw the four verts on madden that's always been a lot of fun having a tall fast guy makes it easier than ever um but ha- having a creative create a player uh set of traits doesn't mean anything if the results don't also look like create a player results and catching 53.8 or whatever percent of your passes at iowa state in your age 22 season uh it's you know it indicates an unevenness in your game i think and uh the idea that he's just like a flawless wide receiver one is is just putting uh putting value on like just emotion like how entertaining it is to see him make ridiculous catches that are far downfield and wacky and by the way don't at all resemble catches that actually occur in the nfl so he can make it work and uh he when you're as tall and have the wingspan that he does and when you're as fast and he's pretty good at running routes so he'll present a big moving target but there are reasons to doubt his hands there are reasons to doubt his application in certain parts of the field that aren't on the sideline and aren't downfield and uh, whatever things that he struggled with in college he will almost certainly struggle with in the pros that doesn't just fix itself with a change of scenery so uh, yeah it's 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 one thing to say that he's your favorite it's another to say like he's objectively ahead of these other guys because there's no objective basis for ranking him ahead of someone like Emmanuel Hall let alone AJ Brown DK Metcalf whatever you want to go with right yeah the the hands thing I think is going to be an issue for for a long time and you know it depends on the guy but like if he's going to be someone that you're exclusively sending down the field and he's like catching less than 50 percent of those passes and you know that's I think he'll be good for like a 55 58 at like 10 yards a target kind of thing in the NFL but I don't think he'll be more than the second or third leading target on any given team like I think there are just too many parts of the field too many tasks for which he's not as good as other players for him to be a wide receiver one he's like he's gonna be maybe the best fly route receiver in the NFL and then below average at a lot of other things and it's going to be an uneven uh boomer bust kind of profile I think whereas some of these other guys they have their limitations or whatever but at least they have no or, or, or they have a much higher catch rate to provide some assurance on their hands issues or whatever. Um, but another thing, I, real quickly on the Iowa State thing, uh, a lot of people believe that a lot of people believe both that David Montgomery is the best running back and Hakeem Butler is the best receiver in this draft. If the best running back and the best receiver in a draft are on the same college team and that team is in the Big Twelve, how are they going to finish with like twenty-seven points a game or whatever they did? Uh, the the Iowa State offense ranked almost exactly average nationwide mm-hmm. in a conference where defense is not played very much. And if that's the best running back and the best receiver in the class, then this class is useless. Strong. Like only one of them can be remotely in that c- contention. And I think it's Butler pretty clearly. 
Um, but you can't have both. You just can't. No, I don't, I don't think so either. Yeah, that offense. And, like, you know, I think people, if you point that out to them, they're really, really quick to point the finger at other parts of the Iowa State team. And it's Always. Like, Brock Purdy is going to be really good, and he already is pretty good. And then, you know, they they love to, to rip on the offensive line. <laughs> they just love it, you know. Like, they haven't, like, really watched it or anything, but they just know that it's bad because it's, like, something that would, you know, well, they have help to, their argument. They necessarily believe it because the argument from Montgomery is he breaks this many tackles. He, has, he averages this much yardage after contact every carry. So if he only has 4.4 yards per carry and 2.4 yards per uh, carry after contact uh, – then it must mean like, oh, he's getting hit in the backfield every single play. And that's not really how averages work. It's probably more like he engages in contact that another running back, namely like Daryl Henderson, would not need to bother with because he's just running away from whoever that contact is. Yeah. And it's like he breaks contact a lot, of course. But I am sooner inclined to see that as a negative when you're two point f- when it's like two point four uh yards after contact every play and you have a four point four yards per carry because I think you're not eluding people. I think you're not running away from people. It's great that you can break the contact when it shows up, but I'd rather you not be there at all. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not convinced he can do something as far as that goes. We saw Mike Warren was similarly productive in that offense before he got hurt, and then David Montgomery showed up and just kind of kept the job. Uh, the There wasn't another downfield receiver last year, but going back to Butler, uh, the passing game was t- – totally healthy aside from him it was more like a 7.2 yards per attempt kind of thing but 70 percent completion so it was like he was a specialist he was very good at what he did but he was a specialist they had those other receivers working intermediate and underneath and by the way in his age 21 season hakeem butler was drastically out targeted by alan lazard who went undrafted and that's something that's easier to justify at 20 certainly 19 but when you're 21 that's like the that's to say like as what would have been his fourth year he was worse than alan lazard yikes so it's good to contextualize he could he could grow his game quickly because he has so much tools to work with but the idea that he's just been this unstoppable force is ridiculous it's completely hysterical yeah so that that doesn't really uh all add up uh before we get out of here let's get into your dynasty watch uh you posted an article uh, or I'm sorry, your stock watch. Uh, from that's the, that's like a very we, – so we got the Dynasty Watch column tag so you can just click on it and see all of them. And then there's like a few sub-subjects within them. Like stock watch is usually looking at one player, whereas like I, I look at like player markets in other cases. But yeah, that that Howard trade was basically the last bit of NFL news we've had in a while. It, yeah, it really is. Otherwise, yeah, pretty slow uh, news week. But let's get into it. So what is your what is your takeaway now that Howard, you know, get, goes to the Eagles basically for, you know, basically nothing? I wasn't paying that close of attention when the trade happened. I didn't see all the takes that might have popped up immediately, but I considered it kind of like a break even at a glance. Like I couldn't tell whether I thought it was an upgrade or a downgrade, especially since Mike Davis is in Chicago now. It's it was really ambiguous where Howard's standing was, but his ADP was still pretty stable after the Davis signing as if people whatever level of fear they had with him the people who were buying howard did not fear davis particularly much because it didn't really knock his price but after getting traded to philadelphia his price went up and that could fade quickly and it could be driven by kind of like outlier cases like one person being like in the sixth round like oh my god he's on the eagles now and maybe that was what drove that uh i kind of expect his adp to settle into the seventh eighth round range but to me he's more like a ninth tenth round pick because that's a team that rotates three running backs per game by design as he long as they have catch 
Right. As long as they have three healthy running backs, they will rotate all three of them, usually with like an average of about 20 snaps for each one. And it's like whether it's 30 snaps for Smallwood or Sproles depends on kind of the game script and whether Howard has 18 versus 30 depends on, yeah, how much time of possession, how much time of possession with a lead, things like that. But Corey Clement, for whatever his issues, there's not much that indicates that he can't do what Howard can but Howard cannot pass uh, catch passes like Clement can. Uh, Smallwood and Sproles, if they were assigned Sproles, and I kind of expect them to. It's weird that he hasn't just like announced a retirement. He's just kind right. of like, um, maybe there's a game of chicken with negotiations there. I don't know. But if they don't have Sproles, then I think, uh, what's his name? Boston Scott would probably project just fine in that role. Smallwood, I know nobody likes him, but he played quite a bit last year and had pretty good running and pass-catching production bowls. So I think... Because he can't, he can't even, uh, Jordan Howard, that is, can't even do as much of a, as a pass catcher as Jay Ajayi did. I think he projects for fewer touches, fewer snaps. They traded a sixth rounder for Howard, and that's not much commitment. They traded a fourth rounder for Ajayi. A lot more commitment, a lot more reason to assume he will play. With Howard, all I'm willing to assume is that he makes the roster. I don't think there's much reason to assume he, uh, I don't know, it could be the kind of thing where he has 800, 900 yards, which is what my projection left him with uh projected about uh you know 62 ish snaps a game for running backs on that team clement if available is going to push for like 20 howard's going to have about 20 sproles or and smallwood depending on the script can get more but it would take two of those guys being hurt for howard to project as like the 40 snap 20 carry role that josh adams had last year that was when smallwood i don't remember if he was hurt or just was like in the doghouse or something but he didn't play basically for two weeks like him and sproles combined for 14 snaps in those two weeks yeah that's not going to happen if everybody's healthy so howard could have an upgrade from chicago if two at least other running backs on the philadelphia final roster get hurt that's that's you know asking so much right that is that is adding those conditions is not grounds for raising the adp like when you have to add conditions like that the adp lowers and that's i would rank him lower uh i don't see like he, he there's no objectively no reason he should be going ahead of latavius murray and yet the current adp has that happening okay uh that there's no defense for that and i don't expect that to last either latavius murray is going to get up into like the lower sixth i think and i'm seeing him go in like the seventh right now because people are i don't know if people think they're going to like draft another mark ingram or something but they're not no. it's going to be the latavius murray spot for or it's Latavius Murray in the Mark Ingram spot. So, um, yeah, Jordan Howard, I've seen him in the, in the post-trade ADPs going ahead of not just Latavius, but also Daryl Henderson, Damian Harris, Mike Davis, Carlos Hyde. I would put all of those guys ahead of Howard. Like, I think of Howard similarly to how I think of Carlos Hyde. And Hyde has much more value to me because he has the upside scenario. Like, if Damian Williams gets hurt, Carlos Hyde is going nuts. Uh, if he doesn't get hurt, he could still vulture red zone carries in what should be one of the highest scoring offenses. The Eagles running backs did not run for touchdowns the last two years. Nope. Uh, the, they had Josh Adams lead the team, I think, tied with Ajayi for three last year. And before that, Corey Clement led them with four. So there's a really low floor with Jordan Howard here. And his upside scenario doesn't have a high ceiling so it's it's like a lot of risk for not much even if you dodge the the mines on the ground so i i think i I think it's i think it's a 
problem to think you can use him in redraft and in best ball still not like the upside that makes it no, worth I, it to me i don't think he has those weeks where it where it does make him worth like burning a best ball and it's going to be so like, hard in redraft i don't know what use he has in redraft because there's going to be so many four point weeks yeah, and you'll never have, no have reason idea. you'll have never you'll never have any reason to think one outcome before another before any game it's only going to be hindsight yep so yeah that just makes him you know almost undraftable and then going uh from where he came from here mike davis goes to chicago mike davis kind of low-key pretty good season last mm-hmm. year 112 carries 514 yards four touchdowns that's, that comes out to a 4.6 uh, yards per carry average uh, not a ton of breakaway in his game he had just two ru- two of those rushes go for over 20 yards but I think he's a nice physical complement to what the rest of that backfield is. But I am concerned if I'm if I'm investing in him right now that the the Bears go ahead and address the running back position. I know we've been banging on this running back position in this class, but I still have a hard time thinking that this is the same backfield that the Bears are going to enter training camp with. Yeah, and it wouldn't take much as far as a rookie to to be a real threat to Davis. But there's it's been weird to watch people react to this this trade because mike davis's adp hasn't really gone up a whole lot i'm guessing he's a case where you'll have somebody in every few drafts who's like pretty high on him and is like that's my running back three this is gonna work i know i'm gonna get him and maybe that's the person who kind of sets the ceiling on the adp and then a lot of other people just kind of forget about him because they like never even really put him on their lists in the first place because they just assumed oh backup or something like they might not know there's a difference between mike davis and benny cunningham or something like that (laughs) but yeah mike davis i think he has I, i have to believe it's like a vision limitation not like lasik vision but just like as a running back seeing the field vision because he's he's always had good bursts he's always been not fast but fast enough but he's been quick and explosive for like a guy as densely built as he is and he's always caught the ball pretty well um but he's never had like high yards per carry kind of thing but he is quite good as a pass catcher and in that sense he gives the offense more to work with a lot more to work with when he's on the field it doesn't tip off the run if he's out there like it would with Howard um I want to mention quickly some people have significantly raised Tariq Cohen in their projections as a result of this and that's bonkers to me like I don't know like if Howard being there is the obstacle that stops Cohen from getting whatever like five more carries a game then that would mean that Cohen is just not very good and that's not it it's clearly not it. The, the issue is that is he is not big enough to take an NFL workload much bigger than the one that he already has. Do they think that he's going to like suddenly jump to 200 carries or something? I don't know. It's it's like, no, Mike Davis is there. He, Mike Davis absolutely merits whatever share of the offense that Howard did. Like that's, he, he especially because of, you know, Nagy presumably has ambitions of a better passing game than they had last year, which was below average despite its explosive moments. And Davis helps quite a bit there. So the idea that there's there's just two wrong premises there with boosting Cohen a lot. And one is like he didn't get more work in the first place because Howard was a roadblock. And that's wrong. It's the size, not Howard's presence. And then the second one that uh, Mike Davis is is like not in their plans. Like he's going to play. The question is how much he does. Uh, and if they get like a fifth round running back who's you know like a, a Raquel Armstead or something like that would be enough to kind of screw it up for Mike Davis but it's not going to be Tariq Cohen gets 20 carries like and, that's just not going to happen and I, I like Tariq Cohen the player, I love him yeah it's like a lot but I mean I'm looking at the advanced stats that we have on, a, on our player page right now 
and like really like sort of bottom percentile for for like the runner specific stuff like in terms of like his positive run percentage way below uh, average almost no yards after contact for making up his uh, profile there and you know there's there are holes in that statistic to be sure but uh, almost like no yards after contact he doesn't, that's not surprising he doesn't break tackles no not at all um so um, I expect like his snaps with a touch, like his like usage when he's on the field to to go up a little bit. But again, I think there is enough to where it should be fairly obvious that like he's not a guy that should be getting more than like 130 carries. He might get more early game snaps than he did with Howard there. Like he he might be on the starting drive more often or something like that. But the reason he didn't get more work last year, the year before it, is because his frame would probably break if you gave him too much work and it's not like they were looking at Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard on any given play and were like I can't tell who I'd rather uh, (laughs) chase in the open field Uh, they look the same like that's not what happened they were just like man this guy is awesome I wish we could use him every play then you know doctor guys like you cannot however physically he will explode. just shows him a chart with just like a frowny face as like the <laughs> the arrow gets too high or whatever and it's like that's that's the deal it's like if he weighed 200 pounds at five six then you can have this this jump in adp because of howard being not like being a fire there. hydrant yeah yeah but it's like he's instead five six one eighty yeah. and there's only so much you can do with that no matter how good you are yep uh any uh, any other last thoughts here before I sign off? Uh, not really. I'll I'll try to get to writing more best ball stuff and uh, whatever. But we, we're also working on the magazine production, so I probably won't get to that that regularly unless there's more like trades and signings and things that give me a reason to to, to think that things have changed. But until the status quo gets upset again, I I might be kind of just uh doing idp projections and you know crying the entire time i love idp projections god i do not envy you right now that is i love i love id matching and deli- the, it's Anthony cool Levine. i get a i get a spreadsheet with an excel spreadsheet with not just like the players who played last year defenders it's like the all the defenders who have played in like the last six or eight years so i have to go deleting like albert hainsworth names and stuff like that before i actually have the valid player pool and then i get to go typing in solo assist solo assist for many hours and um it's uh yeah it's it's my already you know tenuous brain is is just getting more and more like frayed as I, I do it i laugh now but like then i realize that the second that the draft is over uh and, and my articles are written for the magazine i'm gonna have to just go full on for all the college football projections and that makes me uh want to cry as well so. uh, i can probably help with some of that but yeah it's, i gotta i gotta do the the best ball article for the magazine the idp projections and write-ups for the magazine and i guess we got like two weeks ish to do it so <sighs> Yeah, I'd rather have three, and uh, yeah. So that's if if I don't have any great searing takes on on the best ball ADPs of the next ten days or so, that'll be why. Fair enough. So a little behind the scenes there for the listeners. All right, we'll be back again next week. Thanks again for listening. This was the RotoWire NFL podcast. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. 
Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.